You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Wake up, everybody. It's Friday morning, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show, the show that is the voice of artists and entertainers everywhere. I'm your host, Jason Dowd. we got a great show for you guys today, and we're really excited to have you listening to us. And you're either probably getting ready to go to work or you're on your way to work, whatever it may be, but I know that you're going to be finishing out the work week strong and getting on with the weekend. You know, that's what we live for. We live for the weekend where we can go out and have fun, explore, meet new people, see new things, try new foods, whatever it may be. But just take some time to ourselves. And you know what, guys? That's something I have not done in a long time. I know I preach it a lot. And that and I know that I need to do that more. And I haven't, but I'm gonna be I'm still working on this thing. You know, this has been a very tough year for me. And um I'm gonna get to that point too, because you know, everybody needs it. You have to have it. This is very important in your life. You have to balance it, and I need to start balancing it with my own personal time and efforts for myself. So that's what we need to do. That's what you guys need to do, and look forward to that. Okay, so today we have a couple of great guests coming on. We have John Costello. He is the CEO of a multi-billion dollar semiconductor company. He is the son of an Italian tenor who has mob connections, and he is the author of Executive Hoodlum, and he's going to be talking about his book, his stuff that he's got going on. Fascinating story. Now, I'll tell you what, guys. If you keep believing that mantra that you know where you are in life, where you were born, whether it be in in the slums or or the high rich neighborhoods or whatever it may be, if you deter, if you let your your history determine how you're going to succeed, you're going to fail. He went through he went through some terrible things, yet he managed to become the CEO of a multi billion dollar corporation. See. That just shows you you can do it if you put your mind to it. Stop letting things get you down. He's going to be telling you his story. Then we have Diana Fiari Magaldi. She is the author of Looking for Davy Jones. This is a really fun book. It, 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 It is not Davy Jones the pirate. You know, unfortunately, I know we're in the month of horror, but this is Davy Jones the monkey. And uh, one of my favorite groups. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy her perspective of how music and childhood and everything else and innocence teaches you lessons. And that's what this book's all about. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this interview as well. So we are in the month of spooky. Actually, the month of horror. I'm sorry, not the month of spooky, the month of horror. What we're going to be doing this month is talking to a lot of different people about either their dark music, some of their darker roles um, in, in horror films or whatever it may be, or some ghost stories. If they had personal ghost experiences, what were some of their favorite experiences trick-or-treating when they were little? Or if it's now with their kids, what what is some of their favorite things about this holiday? And then we're also going to be talking to people about um, some just some cool experiences that they've had. So we're going to talk to some top celebrities. We're going to be talking to some just people that we run into on the street. And we want you to understand some of the different perspectives that we've had growing up. And it may be dealing with today. We might be living in a haunted house. I don't know. So this is what this is all about. I love this. I love this month because not only was I almost born on Halloween, I was born the next day. So I used to get sick on candy, then sick on on cake the next day. And I love. 
I just love it. You know, the 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 leaves are turning turning different colors. You could start to feel a crisp cool in the air. Football's on. You know, there's just something special about October, November, and I love it. So some of the people we have coming up to talk about their Halloween stuff is Josh Gates. He is the he is on the Discovery Channel's new show called Expedition Unknown. It's a four or six part series. I can't remember exactly. Called uh, Expedition Unknown: Search for the Afterlife. So we're going to be talking to him about that, and of course, paranormal stuff. You're also going to be hearing from Serena Vincent. She's coming back on. She was on the Return to the House of Haunted Hill. So you've also seen her on Stuck in the Middle and Power Rangers. She's going to be talking to us about her roles there and see if she's had any ghost experiences. We have Patrika Darbo coming on. She is uh, from Daytime's Emmy. She's a Daytime Emmy Award winner, but she was also on the movie Hatchet. We're going to be talking to her about her roles that on that and what it's like to play in a horror movie. And we're going to be seeing if she has any ghost stories. Then we also talked to Kathy Cyril. She was on Baby Mama. She's going to be giving you some of her favorite trick-or-treating things, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And we have also some more great stuff coming up. So, guys, in the next couple weeks, you're not going to want to miss this. We are themed for Halloween. So, before we get into anything, our first interview, please go to our website, www.theamemagazine.com. While you're there, see what we got going on, and check out our social media networks. You can download our apps for the Apple or Android platforms, both of them completely free. Sign up for our newsletter and more. That's the best way to keep in contact with us, and I'll tell you what, guys, we have a lot of stuff up there, so go and be inspired. Okay, so what I'm going to do right now, we are going to take a few minutes we're going to hear a halloween song then we're going to go to commercial break and we'll be back right after that with our first guest which is john costello so don't go anywhere guys we'll be right back after this
The face of Gladdy's goodies. Aren't you worried about your pet's health? My parents were too, especially since I developed pancreatitis. They couldn't find any treats I could eat, so they made some. Our natural treats are healthy for all dogs, with and without health issues. We have lots of delicious flavors like chicken, turkey, salmon, sweet potato, beef, and more. With our homemade treats, you won't worry about the contents because they have no chemicals, fillers, or bad ingredients. Go to gladdiesgoodies.com now to get your fur friend a bag and pick them up some swag while you're there. You'll be glad you did. Remember, we have the treats and swag to make their tails wag. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Your time hasn't come yet, baby. You've got a lot of dreams to go. Your time hasn't come yet, baby. Hey guys, it's Jason Down, and I got a special announcement for you. You know, it's hard to believe, but 2018 marks the 50th anniversary of Elvis Presley's Speedway. Co-star Victoria Page Meyerink will be making personal appearances throughout the year, sharing her memories of Elvis. Visit Meyerink.com, that's M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-K.com to find out where or to host a screening or Speedway event of your own with Victoria. She's going to be bringing candid, special behind-the-scenes memories of working with Elvis. Again, to find out how you can have your own personal screening or Speedway event with Victoria, just go to Meyerink.com, M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-K.com. The little boy next door who only makes you sore is going to someday turn your right Hey, everybody, this is John Schneider. You know, Dukes of Hazard, Smallville, haves and have-nots. Anyway, you are listening to a great show, the AME Radio Show. I love it, I love it. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have in line with us our special guest. His name is John Costello. He is the author of An Executive Hoodlum, Negotiating on the Corner of Maine and Mean. He is also the Corporate Vice President of Development, and he's the VP of Business Development, Growth, and Government Relations for a $6 billion advanced semiconductor market. That's pretty impressive. So welcome to the show, John. How are you doing today? Uh, very good, Jason. Thank you for having me. Just a little correction. Uh, since I wrote the book, 
my company was acquired, so now I am the same title, but it's about a $20 billion company, so we've oh. uh, grown substantially with uh, being acquired, so for well, somewhere on that side, I usually were the ones acquiring, but uh, but once again, thanks, thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. Well, that's definitely a good uh, a good correction then, right? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. $20 billion, that's awesome. I mean, what's it feel like to be in charge of something with that amount of money on it? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I, I ran sales for this company. I've been in this company nearly 30 years. I, I ran sales for quite a while. I mean, I, literally, I started as a sales engineer and kind of worked my way up kind of the old, old-fashioned way, you know, working your way up the ladder. Um, thankfully, I didn't start in the mailroom, but I did start as a sales engineer and then through a series of promotions, I ended up VP of Business Development and Government Relations for the aerospace and defense uh, market space. Wow. You know, I, I was a, uh, when I first got out of school, I, I went, uh, high school, I went into drafting and design, and one of the things that we were working with was uh, semiconductors because we were designing, um, we were designing boards and stuff like that, and we were working with Jable Circuit. Uh, I don't believe, I don't know if they're still the same company or not. Oh, not no, no, Jable is a contract manufacturer. I'm trying to think. I mean, we deal with them sometimes. Uh, they, you know, they're basically they're they're a, um, a a contract manufacturer, which means some of the guys that that farm out their uh, manufacturing mm-hmm. will farm it to a Jable or like a Celestica, and there are several others. That those are, those are the two that come to mind. Oh, that's cool. So uh, you kind of know some of the people that I was uh, I was working with with design. That's kind of neat. It's a small world. Uh, well, I guess it's not really that bad, but um, you know, it's it's neat to be able to to talk to somebody that kind of understands what I was what I was doing uh, when I was. Uh, when I just got out of school. And you're in Florida? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do a lot with Lockheed, Harris Corporation. I know they're, they're, they've got a big presence in Florida. So, you know, I'm really interested. I, I saw kind of a little, a little bit about your background. This is pretty interesting that you had, your father was a talented Italian tenor. He had mob connections. And, um, and you know, he had a little bit more of a, of a, I guess, a turbulent background where your mother was an Irish street cop, uh, and she was a Catholic girl, and then something went different, and so you had a little bit of a little bit of a rough start. So, um, tell me a little bit about well, your, your your growing up and and how it impacts your life today. Well, what, one correction: uh, my mother was the daughter of a Chicago street cop. Uh, in those days, I, I don't think you found many female street cops. I mean, the son of the old mayor, you know, the original mayor Daly, in the streets of Chicago, which were. I mean, you know, I grew up amongst, you know, and basically a, a blue-collar neighborhood, kind of a harder neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly being born and raised in Chicago uh, was, was different than when we moved out to California. That was a big transition. But growing up on the Italian and Irish, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I've been told I inherited the worst trace of both, unfortunately. Um, anyway, the both sides of the family were pretty much against the marriage, so that didn't start out very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was extraordinarily violent. I mean, he was one of those, uh, I guess they call them ragers now. And uh, he would, uh, I mean, growing up, I saw him beat man, woman, and child. So it was whoever's in front of him when he lost his temper. But on the flip side, he was a very charismatic guy. I mean, people really liked him. Uh, he was a talented tenor. Uh, you know, he ended up trying to go to California to start his, you know, his singing and his acting career. And uh, that's when it all pretty much went south. But as a kid, both, you know, my, the Italian side of the family was, 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 was very physical and rough. Uh, and uh, I had a lot of cousins. And, um, I mean, some of the more pleasant stuff, you get together, the old Italian cookouts, kind of like you see in the movies where all the towns get together and eat food. But, you know, behind the scenes, there was a lot of violence going on and, you know, all kinds of, uh, of things behind the scenes that weren't, uh, you know, weren't, weren't as happy. Mm-hmm. 
did you get to experience any of that yourself, or did they kind of shield it from you? Well, you know, no, not at all. In fact, you were very. My father always encouraged me to fight, no matter what. I mean, he always it was. You know, one thing he was, he wasn't really your typical old school Italian guy because they would be more protective against uh, with, with their families. Mm-hmm. He was the type of guy that said, you know, you're gonna you're gonna learn things the hard way, and you're not gonna. I mean, if one thing he trusts me because don't trust anybody, even me. Now, unfortunately, I didn't take that advice. So, you know, he screwed me. I don't know how many times, but you know, he told me in the fight. Uh, you know, he. Uh, he used to like to play this game, who's the toughest kid on the block. So he cruised in in the start. He, by, by the time I was eight or nine, my, my parents were separated. And, you know, I'd be up there in the, in the neighborhood, and the kids all playing and getting along on their bikes and this and that. And he comes out, who's the toughest kid in the block, which was my signal that I'm about to get into a fight. If somebody decides to challenge me to fight, don't, he's going to, you know, he's going to kick the you-know-what out of me. So. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how he was like. It wasn't very pleasant having to start, you know, you know, fight your friends. But, you know, in, in those days, we seemed to get over it, you know, and then become friends even after the fact. So, so yeah, he was he was that tight. Um, you know, always. I, in fact, I never got in trouble for fighting ever in school. All I had to say is, well, I was picking up for my brother. Or this guy tried to come after me first. And there's probably a couple of stories in the book that you might find entertaining, you know, spoiler alert, of, of how... You know, when he, he called, the, the, you know, the principal called him because I got in a fight with a kid and how I was more worried that my father was going to do a number on the principal than I was about getting in trouble for fighting. So it was that kind of that kind of relationship. But it was it was very, you know, fairly callous, I'd have to say. Um, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And, you know, what, what's, what's interesting about that type of situation is I knew some kids growing up uh, where I was up in Connecticut and, you know, they had their fathers had mob connections, and I don't really know what happened to them, but I do know that some people uh, tend to either follow the business or they go in a different direction. But sometimes they're not always successful. You're doing very well for yourself. So how did you how did you get around the negativity and and we, turn it into positive? You know, it's funny you should ask that because I was asked that a while back, and then I you know when I said when I sat there and thought about it, I'm like you know what. I turned my, my resentment, my anger into success for one reason only, basically like to, to flip off my family, to basically say, you know, screw you, I'm not going to listen to this stuff. When I get out, I'm going to make it, and I'm going to throw it in your face, and I ain't going to look back. I mean, that's kind of the attitude I had. I had this axe to grind. But I think having that axe to grind kept me thinking of achieving high, you know, a higher education and, and high expectations rather than to feel sorry for the state that I was in because... You know, it got pretty depressing going from foster home to foster home. And, um, you know, when my mother passed away at 35, um, you know, my last words weren't, weren't very, very pleasant because, I, you know, for after she got out of the hospital, um, and once again, spoiler, my father, just before my son's birthday, beat her very severely and, and, and left her comatose uh, for several days. And when we were split up, uh, you know, in different foster homes, you know, nobody knew what was going on. And, uh, and when I got back, uh, I found out that when she got out of the hospital roughly a month later, she contracted hepatitis B from a bad blood transfusion because she had lost some blood. And, you know, I didn't understand it then because I was young, but, you know, the yellow, yellowy eyes, the jaundice, and she just started drinking heavily. And within she, three years, less than three years, she basically dragged herself to death, and it wasn't pleasant to watch. Wow. Sorry to hear that. But you know, I'm glad that you you turned out okay, and I, I think that's very that's very inspirational. 
So tell me a little bit about the book. Um, I'm sure this is about your, your life growing up and stuff like that as well, but it's also, I'm sure it has something to do with your success. Uh, give us a little bit of a background into uh, the executive hoodlum. Well, it's, you know, it's, 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 if you, I mean, if you really break it down, it's basically my struggle to uh, achieve higher education and career, but at the same time deal with the criminal element in my own family and trying to divorce myself from the, the street. You know, I mean, the, the, the literally street called me back, and if you look at the first chapter of my book, it's, it, it, you know, uh, kind, of, that was kind of the crossroads of my life right there. But, um, it, you know, the, the city calls you back. I just started, you know, a, a, a career after I got my degree. And, and, you know, note, I was accustomed. This was my, my first white-collar job was when I got out of college. I, w- I always took a shower, you know, after work, not before work. I worked basically as a laborer, construction, you know, roofing in Chicago, tub pointing, hot cars, stuff like that. So I was not accustomed to the white-collar world. And obviously my, uh, you know, say my, my, my street slang and, and, and the, you know, the nomenclature I'd used didn't exactly, you know, fly well, not only in high school and college, but, but beyond. That's one of the things I, I struggle with the most is, you know, trying to talk and speak professionally uh, without using street slang or <laughs> profanity. Um, so what you'll find in the book is, you know, each chapter what it will have a situation where I'm dealing with uh, some criminal element or some kind of thing that's going on in the family, and at the same time, here's what's going on in my career. And so, it's, you know, it, it is it's literally we're walking a tight tightrope because, it, you know, it does get pretty pretty nasty at times. I mean, I a uh, perfect example of that, I I think I was just promoted to director of North American Sales, and um, my cousins were just out to visit me, and, you know, these guys were kind of hardcore criminal types. And, you know, we went out partying, this and that, all in Hollywood, and had a lot of fun, and had this small car. And I said, hey, you're going to drive that car back to Chicago from Los Angeles? I go, let me get you a bigger car. And I'll pay for it. But, uh, of course, they didn't have a credit card. I used my credit card. Uh, three days later, they're pulled over in St. Louis, and they cut open the car, the quarter panel, and they find all these illegal weapons in it. Of course, my name's on the, uh, on the rental agreement. So... Uh, and then when my name comes up, my father's name comes up, criminal associates come up, and right now I'm, then I'm, I'm the bad guy, right? Right. So to make a long story short, a um, big sales meeting was coming up, and of course I'm director of North American Sales, and I got to tell the CEO of the company, well, I can't, I can't make it to the sales meeting because uh, the federal government just subpoenaed me for you know, a RICO trial, a RICO gun trial in St. Louis. So a, a little bit difficult, you know, not, not something you normally would bring to the CEO of your company. So. It's that kind of stuff that, that happens throughout the book. Some gets more serious than others, um, but you know it does have a, it certainly has a common theme. You know, uh, your story is pretty amazing, and you know, I, every time I pick up Facebook or I pick up any type of newspaper, or television show nowadays, I always hear people blaming their situation on their success. You've proven that despite some of the most horrible things that you can deal with, you can be a success. What is your what is your advice to people that are that have grew that grew up in a hard spot? Should they how, how can they not let that get them down? What what advice would you give them to be as successful and not let the the mentality of where they come from uh, hinder them as a wall? Well, yeah, it's interesting because the you know I, I saw it as a I just saw it as a distraction. It's something I had to deal with. But interestingly enough, I never ever considered myself or thought of myself as an underdog until somebody years later told me because you know i'm, I'm just neighbor I'm, I'm accustomed to that so it's certainly the path less taken but what i would do is i try to turn that energy into like okay you know what it was more like 
like I said, the axe to grind. Like, I'll show you. I'm not going to listen to this BS. I'm going to focus on what I think I need to do to succeed, and I'm going to walk away from the situation, and I'm not going to look back. So I just say don't, you know, don't let the, you know, what, what seemed to be big things at the time turn out to be very little, minuscule things. Um, you know, the tough things, it, 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 it may pose a bigger challenge, but I think if you are, uh, you know, if you have high expectations of yourself, uh, and even if you get knocked down a couple times, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's how you, you measure yourself uh, as a man or woman is how many times you get up. That's true. And uh, once again, I, 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 since I never really thought of myself as an underdog, I never thought of it that way. But I'll tell you what, there's one incident that I think was, uh, you know, one of my early crossroads that I think if people start looking at it and say, hey, here's what I want to do, and I'm from this bad background, but here's how I'm going to overcome it. There's a place in the, in, the, in the San Fernando Valley called the Crippled Children's uh, Society. Now, I'm, I'm sure crippled children now isn't the, you know, the correct term, but that's what it was called. And the street I lived on faced the back wall of this uh, facility, and all these afflicted kids were there. So we were friends with, with the, some of the kids that, whose parents ran the place, so we'd you know, hop the fence and we'd go hang out with those guys. And uh, one night they had a party where all the afflicted kids were, like, together in one spot. You know, they're in wheelchairs and... You know, some of the, the mannerisms, you know, their, their faces were a little bit distorted. And sometimes it, it came across to me as, a, as like a 9 or 10-year-old. that's kind of grotesque. You know, that, that probably sounds bad now, but I'm just talking as a, as, a, as a 10-year-old. And when I walked away from that place and I just kind of scratched my head and I sat and thought about it and said, geez, you know, with all my problems, I could be that kid. Mm-hmm. And I could escape, you know, you can escape your hell. You can escape whatever you think you are once you're an adult and you're, you're, you're blazing your own path. But then when you see how other people have it that are sitting in a wheelchair or have some type of mental impairment, you can say, that guy can never escape his health. Uh, that guy's never going to get up and walk out of that wheelchair. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the way that I kept balanced and kept focused because literally any time I started feeling down or sorry for myself on my situation, I thought about that kid in a wheelchair. Wow. You know, that, that, is a, that is a profound way of, of looking at it. And, you know, not a lot of people do. It, it, they have, like, blinders on themselves. And, you know, that's what always bothered me about it, because it's like we always look for excuses to, to why we're not successful, but we never look at the reasons why we didn't overcome those. And it's, mm. it, it, is, it is something that I think that we, we're in a generation are having a bigger problem with than, than we did when I was younger, it seems like the younger generation seems to be using this crutch more than they should be. Um, but you know, you got like you said, you, you didn't you didn't physically see yourself as all, having all these issues, so y- you came at it at a different at a, as a different perspective. But it, I, I believe that anybody could learn to do that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you should say that because you know what, growing up, and I don't, I'm not sure how old you are, but I never had anybody, whether it be remember, social media didn't exist. There were 13 channels on TV of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody was repeating to me that I was an underdog and I didn't have a chance. I, I was never told that, right? And right. so since nobody ever told me that was ingrained in my head, I, I couldn't fall back on that as an excuse. Not that I would have at the time, but I guess it's, if you got somebody whispering you're constantly, that's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, uh, you're, you know, using it as an excuse to fail, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe if you don't have somebody telling you, that you're you're either an underdog or that the, the odds are against you, well then maybe you you don't take that attitude and use it as an excuse to fail. Uh, once again, speculation on my part, but you know, growing up in the you know 60s, 70s, 
in Chicago and Los Angeles, uh, I never had anybody saying you can't do it. Right. You know, I always love to hear people's, uh, uh, their perspective on this. And seeing where you've been, I, I would love to hear your answer on this. What is your idea of success, and have you reached it? You know what, it's funny. Like I said, I had, you know, I, I do very, very well. I'm not going to, you know, pat myself on the back, but I'm, I, I certainly took the path less traveled. Um, and I always thought about it, you know, it's not really where you end up. It's maybe it's where you start and, and where you progress, and maybe the next generation is going to do better than you. Um, so, uh, you know, when I look at it that way, success to me is, is having my family and um, enjoying some of the finer things in life um, and being able to, to, to be free to do what I want to do, uh, to have established my name in my industry, to have a career, to have a good reputation. Um, you know, I think that's very, very fulfilling, but, you know, just because, you know, I'm making a lot of money, it's not, not really not the most gratifying part of my life. The most gratifying part of my life is a little with my family. And before that, and it's going to probably sound a little strange, but, uh, I, I did some volunteer work in the community center where I, I taught, uh, boxing for about eight years, helped start the program out in Santa Clarita. And, you know, I literally would, I got more fulfilling work to helping some kid who had no hope. So who thought he, you know, he couldn't make it, or he thought he just thought he couldn't do well, and uh, and to see the appreciation for those kids now, when you look at like twenty years later, I see some of these kids as adults, and whereas you know they're not at the top of the pinnacle of success, well, guess what? They're not in jail, they're not on drugs, they're they've got families, they're working good jobs, you know, uh, you know, making decent money and raising a family and leaving a, living in a decent neighborhood. And I, I think I get a lot of gratis gratification when they come by and say, hey, John, thanks for helping us. I literally, when we had the Triple G fight against um, um, Canelo in my house, and I had a couple of my, the guys I taught it when they were, you know, pre-teens and teens boxing, and uh, they were, you know, excited and said, hey, thanks a lot, and, you know, we really appreciate it. And so that's kind of gratifying work, and sometimes I get more out of that than I did closing a big deal or making a big commission check. I mean, it's always, you know, good to have extra cash. And uh, to be able to drive a cool car and to go to nice restaurants and, and nice vacation and such. But when it really comes down to it, um, you know, the more gratifying work is, is, is maybe, maybe helping a kid that, you know, that, that doesn't have the same, you know, drive or, or motivation and, and see if you can inspire that kid to greater things. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I love your story here. I love your passion. And I, I hope it resonates to our listeners as well. Because, you know, it's very important to, to take the reins of your own life, make, it, make what you can out of it, and make your own success, whatever that definition may be. Um, but we're just about out of time here. I, w- I could talk to you more about this for sure. We'd, have to, we'd definitely have to get you back on. Tell everybody how they can find you, find out more about you, get your book, or anything else that you want to promote. Well, yeah, I have my own website. It's, in, you know, www.executivefoodlum.com, and it's got a connection, and it connects directly to the Amazon account. Um, you know, so you can buy it online in paperback. You can buy a Kindle version. Um, and on the website, there's a lot of, uh, say, video and media that's kind of like supporting stuff to authenticate many of the things that are in the, in, in the book. Um, so, uh, yeah, you get on Amazon. I think there's barnesandnoble.com as well. Um, and, uh, you know, you can hit me on Facebook, too. Um, and I think I, I, it's just exactly, I don't even know what the Facebook thing is, but I'm sure if you put executive hoodlum, then it'll come up. And, uh, I believe I have a Twitter account, but I don't, you know, I, I, I don't pay as close attention to social media as I probably should. But, uh, I certainly appreciate you inviting me on the show and I'd love to come back 
uh, when you have the opportunity to ask any other more detailed questions or whichever way you want to go. Absolutely. We definitely got to do this because this is a fascinating, fascinating life. And, and I really, like I said, I hope that your story resonates with our listeners out there, inspires them to go out there and challenge themselves and be the best that they can be and, and know that they can achieve anything no matter what situation that they've been put in. Well, thank you very much, Jason. You're welcome. All right, guys. Unfortunately, we have to go to a quick commercial break. But when we get back, we have so much more. Don't go anywhere. I promise you'll be worth the time. Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends. Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> Andrea Tanteros here from the Fox News Channel. I've got a new book out, Tied Up in Knots, How Getting What We Wanted Made Women Miserable, also known as the modern-day Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Go ahead and pick it up at your local bookstore now. It's already a bestseller, or you can get it off Amazon.com or HarperCollins.com. Hi, I'm Erin Krako, and I hope you'll watch our show, When Calls the Heart, on Hallmark Channel. Sam Cooke singing on the radio You say that I'm the boy Who can make it all come true Well, I'm telling you that Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. Her name is Diana Ferrari Magaldi, and she is the author of a brand new book called Looking for Davy Jones, and I don't think this is the one that, that is known as the pirate. So welcome to the show, Diana. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great, thank you. Wonderful to be on your show. And no, it's not about the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, because, you know, usually the Davy Jones' lockers means you're, you're dead, so we don't ever want to <laughs> look for that Davy Jones. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here with us today. So I guess let's kind of get to know you a little bit before we talk about your book here. Uh, tell us about how you got into being a uh, an author. Well, uh, I have been writing stories for many years. I've never published anything. This is the first time I've published a book. And I'm, I'm basically, uh, I'm a, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a real estate agent. Uh, and I always had a desire to write. And this is something that I, I was inspired to write this story uh, in 2012 when I heard on the radio that Davy Jones had passed away. And it catapulted me back almost 50 years, and the story goes on from there. I just kept writing, and I'm glad I did. It's been a wonderful journey, and I uh, am actually going to be writing a couple of uh, sequels to this. Mm. So that's kind of how it all happened. 
You know, I remember that day when Davy Jones died. He was actually one of my favorite monkeys, and it was, he, he was never, but, you know, the thing about him was he was never really the lead singer, which is weird, because he was on a couple songs, but mostly it was, um, it was, um, I believe it was Peter Mickey. York, right? Or Mickey York? No, it, well, uh, Mickey Dolan. Mickey Dolan, that's and right. They all kind of took turns. So, so did uh, Mike Nesmith and yeah. and Davy as well. They all had their own uh, special talents, mm -hmm. and everyone had a favorite monkey. Um, mine actually was Mickey Dolan's. I I just I loved him because he, well they were all kind of cute and childlike uh, in their television show. Um, the story about Davy is one of the girlfriends was so totally in love with him. So we you know we decided we just needed to find him and the band. Mm. Well, that's really cool. And, you know, I love the Monkees, and it's, they're actually one of my favorite groups, so this is kind of fun to be able to talk about the Monkees and, and, and how you came and how this whole book came, came about. So um, I guess without giving away too, too much of it, give a little, uh, a little synopsis about the book. Well, it's uh, Looking for Davy Jones. It is a coming-of-age fiction tale, and it's based on a true story, loosely based on my life during that time in the eighth grade, 13 years old, inspired by true events. And I guess you could say it's, it's a female version of the Wonder Years. It takes place in 1967 with a really cool soundtrack. Um, and it's about five young teenage girls, and they seek refuge in each other because they face some difficulties as they were going to a private school some of the teachers were bullying, and, you know, when you're that age, you have a lot of challenges, uh, just growing up, challenges with your family, each other, growing up, betrayal, and so they sort of form this sisterhood, this bond together, and they decide that they're going to search the hills of Laurel Canyon, which is here in Los Angeles, for their favorite pop icons, the monkeys, and they believed at the time that if they could just find them, uh, Davy Jones and the band, that everything would be okay, that that would fix everything. Hmm. And in their quest to find them, the girls discover a whole lot more than just, it wasn't just f looking for him. And they, they find the true meaning of love, happiness, and spirituality. It's a spiritual journey. And the basic, basically what that would be is the, the true, that true love starts with God, helping others, and that's where the true treasure lies. So it's, it's, it's and, and so much more. There's just so much more to the story with the history that is brought out in the book and uh, the music of the 1960s, what it was like growing up then. And that's, uh, that's the synopsis. It's basically the synopsis of the story. You know, you said something pretty interesting back there uh, where you you're saying that the, the teachers were actually a bit bullying. You know, I know that, I know that the... the uh, aspect of, of education has changed so much over the years just because of the fact that you can't do so much now and, and, and what have you. Exactly. I know that, and I know that they were a lot stricter back then. Were they really kind of like a bully back then? Well, I, you know, I, I can't say that they all were. It's just in the, this particular um, year, this particular uh, teacher, and there were a couple of them. And back then, teachers, you know, they could pretty much do and say what, what they wanted. And, and we we never... You know, we were raised to say uh, yes, sir, um, no, sir. Um, you know, if 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 you had a uh, someone who was close to you, you would say aunt and uncle. But the teachers, um, yeah, they they would they they would smack us around a little bit. And 
that that was pretty tough. And if you went to your parents, you know, I just never did, and most of the kids didn't. We just told each other and, and tried to figure out a way to, you know, to deal with it because we kind of felt that if we did, they, you know, our parents would back up the teachers. You know, that's what it was back then, mm-hmm. uh, it, which is totally different than it is now. It, the pendulum has swung way the other way, uh, but it it's um yeah there there were some events that happened that stuck with me and the story does take place uh with with a lot of that happening mostly to the other kids but a little bit with myself as well and uh so yeah that that's something that did take place and i love that you actually chose the monkeys with this because of the fact that you know we th- that was during the time of of the uh the British invasion with the Beatles and everybody, and they yes. really kind of took the spotlight. But what I liked about the monkeys, and they really did something that I'd never seen done prior to this, except for maybe with the Archies, is that they physically made a TV show around them, which made them a lot yes. more popular and in your face than some of these other ones. So not only did they sing and, and went out and, you, and performed, but you also saw them on television all the time. Yes, and it was, it was uh, our favorite television show. And, you know, they had sort of a Marx brother quality little slapstick and it was it was a it was a um, a story about uh, a band a band uh, they i don't think that originally they started out being being a band but they they turned out to be pretty good musicians and and they they could sing and what was relatable to us you know we were you know little 13 year olds and it was just the innocence they were they were silly and goofy and and we loved it i loved it so Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that they, they really, they sold more records and they were very, they became very, very popular. And they have, they still have a big following. Yeah, they do. They really do. And uh-huh. when you wrote the book, you say that there's, you know, you, you're trying to put in a good soundtrack to it. How do you incorporate that into, an, into a, your well, book? Well, um, in in this little mind of mine, when back then and even even now, uh, music was so much a part of my life. So whatever was going on, whatever the experience was, there was a song that went along with it, and that would play in my head. And I referenced the music, um, so that you know that's how that came about. I mean, and and Laurel Canyon, when you uh, it, it, anyone who's who's in L.A. you know knows about Laurel Canyon and what it was like back then and then and all this, the uh, the great singer, songwriter, artists, they either lived or visited there. It was, and then, you know, it was the 60s, so they were all young and just upcoming artists. And you, it, so the music, it's not just the Monkees music I referenced, I referenced mm-hmm. some of the other bands. And, you know, you had like, um, they were the greatest artists of, our, uh, artists of our generation. Joni Mitchell, Cosby Steels and Nash, Mamas and Papas, Carol King, Jim Morrison the Eagles, and so on. So mm-hmm. in the book, you can, I mean, I've had people say that they, they could hear the music as, as I'm telling the story. And so that's why it's got a cool soundtrack. And, you know, the, the thing about that is if you reference those songs, I guarantee you everybody knows them. So it really kind of, mm-hmm. unless they're really, really young, they really probably wouldn't, they probably have to hear it. But it, for anybody that, that has known that music, when you hear that, you hear that song. It plays in your head, so it is like it's almost like a like a two or three D type of type of novel in a way, which is kind of fun. And, yeah, and it takes you back. It takes you back. Um, the music is referenced. Also, what's referenced is a little bit. It's, it's a little bit of history too. Uh, the flashbacks of um, 
the Cold War from, from, from the perspective of Diane, who is the, you know, the protagonist in the story. And, you know, what, what you're looking at the, the television and wanting, wanting to see beautiful, nice things like watching the monkeys on TV or Ed Sullivan. And then, you know, in the, in, with the commercials would come on and we'd see, we'd see the war, we'd see all kinds of images. Uh, and that, that, it, I referenced that as well. So, um, you know, the Freedom Riders, Martin Luther King, Civil Rights Movement, all of that was going on in that era. Mm-hmm. And it had, a, it had a profound effect. Uh, I was very sensitive and observant. And, um, that, and I think that anyone who's young who reads this book will get a bit of a history lesson or get an idea of what it was like growing up, up then. Um, and... Also, I think, too, they'll get a better understanding of um, their grandparents. And most importantly, that they're not alone in their feelings. I mean, middle school's really tough. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if this can encourage kids to be friends and to support one another, I really hope that that's, you know, that, w- that will happen. Yeah. And, you know, I like that you have the historic aspect to this in your book because, you know, the the wonderful thing about the 1960s and, and, and 70s music is that it really was more than just a song. And if you listen to them, 90% of it has some type of reference to what was going on in that year yes. or that era. And I don't think people Absolutely. understand that. So when we lose that, that the 1950s or, or the 1960s and 70s music, we're losing a little bit of history. And I think that's important for the younger generation to understand and know because that's really one yeah. of the ways to, to hear it. That's, they, they wrote about what was happening, absolutely. It's very, it's very true. Uh, also, I referenced the, uh, the movies, you know, mm-hmm. like The Graduate, Slender in the Grass, Camelot, To Sir with Love, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, all those things, Hard Day's Night. Um, so I, I, I tried to put in as, as much as I could and reference as much as I could of what it was like, like I said, growing up, you know, during that time. So, and, he, and I think that the baby boomers, too, are, they're going to be reminded of um, what it was like growing up in the 60s. And some, some have said some of their views is, wow, what a, what a blast of the past, you know, like really enjoying, enjoying the journey and following these girls. And you talk about friendship. And today's day, we have friendships, but it's not the same. You know, we're on phones. And it, it, how many, however many followers you have on Facebook is, is considered a friend. And there's a lot more bullying. There's a lot more distance between it. Now, in the 1960s and stuff like that, we had things that were going on. But, man, I'll tell you what, friendship was very important. And communities were very important. And, and love and, and, and peace was very important. And I think it has a different meaning back then than what it does now. And I know things change, but if we reference some of that, we can make it happen today, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we live in a society that's... Uh keeps everyone separate because of the phones and, and the, you know, everybody always has their nose in the phone if you go out to dinner and, you know, you, or sometimes I'll walk in a Starbucks now and everybody's looking at their phone instead of looking at each other or, and, and as far as friendships, um, I'm sure there's, there's people who have, you know, young, young people who have wonderful friendships, but back then it was different because we didn't have all of those distractions. Uh, we had each other. We went outside and we played and we walked and we used our skateboards and uh, we, just, we just had fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, friendship is very important, you know, especially at that age. And, and I think there is a lot of the bullying and, and, and the, um, you know, it, it, the styles and 
just a lot of pressure on these kids. And back then, it wasn't like that. And my, I, I remember my father. I mean, we'd go out and play, and my father would go out and, and whistle, and that, that that was we. That's how we came home. My dad whistled. You know, wasn't yeah. wasn't with all these cell phones. That's true. And you yeah. know, that was funny when you mentioned about Starbucks. I went into a Starbucks the other day. And there was two guys sitting across the table from each other on a laptop, and they were instant messaging each other. I'm like, my yeah. God, I can you could you could reach out and point and touch his nose. You're so close. Why can't you just talk? And you, know. you know that's that's something we're we're missing. And I don't think anybody understands the damage that this can do on on society in in a long run. Mm-hmm. I know. Hopefully, there'll there'll be a way to bring it all back. Mm-hmm. I really do. But friendship, you know, friendship is a gift. It is. And you just don't make the kind of friends that you did when you were a kid. And if you're, you know, and and the transience of life and the friends you make along the way, you know, it's inevitable. But if you if you can hold on to a few, you know, all the way up until my age, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself if I tell you I, how old I was in 1967, um, you're blessed, you know, by by still having some friends. And the the two there's two of the girls that are referenced in the book, Patty and Glenda, and uh, we're still friends. We still see each other, and and it's it's a blessing because, you know, you know, you love your family, but when you have a friend and they become family, you know, it's it's like a family member that you choose, and it's it truly is uh, a blessing. So I'm, I'm I feel very blessed to still have them in my life. So out of out of your book here, looking for Davy Jones, what is mm-hmm. your favorite part of the book? Whether it be the construction of it, the message that it has, um, the the friendships it brings out, or just fun writing it. What what do you love the most about this book? Wow! Uh, if I had to pick one one thing, I I think that no matter well it. There are some difficult things that happen in the book, and the girls band together. They, there's forgiveness there because if it's not all hunky dory. They go through some difficult, you know. They, they have to say they face uh, a death. They face they face uh, uh, betrayal. And the the, the main message, uh, what I love about it, is forgiveness. Um, when you you know to forgive and move on. Um, there's just so, so many of so many messages, uh, spiritual messages, you know, about forgiveness. Also, you know, life is difficult, and no matter what, you should never give up. You got to fight those obstacles. You just you just have to keep on going. And and most of all, we have a choice. When something happens to us, we can become bitter or better. And the message is to choose better. Mm-hmm. So. I know that's a lot. I said a lot when you said uh, what's my favorite part, but it, it, it's, it's the fun, it's the music, it's, it's the messages that are, that are within this little story. It's, it's, a, it's a quick read, 139 pages, but it's chock full of um, messages along the way that I hope will be uh, in a blessing to whoever reads it and, and also who will also enjoy you know, the, the, the blast of the past going back to that period of time. And I'm sure, I'm sure I already know the answer to this, but I know that, you know, with the, with the younger generation today, they just don't always get the older generation. Do you think that they can enjoy this book just as much and maybe learn from it? 
Well, I hope they will enjoy it. I think they will. I think it's it's, it's an individual. Um, you know, it, it, every every child is different. Well, I wouldn't even say a child. This is more for, you know, thirteen, fourteen, and up. Uh, and and uh, what was the second question you you asked? I'm you, sorry. Uh, you, basically, do, do you think that they'll enjoy it, and do you think that they'll take away something from it? I definitely think they will. Uh, they will enjoy it, and they will take away something from it. Most definitely, that's that's my hope. Uh, mostly that you know, again, they're not alone in their feelings. They're going to see how these girls thought everybody else's life was perfect until they started talking to one another, and then they realized, wow, you know, my life isn't so bad. Look at look at look at you know what so and so is going through, and and the realization of that. And I, I, I hope that it will inspire kids to just break those barriers and realize that everybody's in, in, in the same boat. And, you know, it really doesn't matter how old you are. We, we are all kind of like that no matter how old we get. Mm -hmm. Just to, to trust, trust people and, and, uh, and communicate. That's very important. Sometimes you just have to open up your mouth, and it's amazing what other people have said. Well, you know, I understand that. I know what you're going through, and that can make a, a big change in somebody's life. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and uh, another storyline in there is where they, uh, you know, they they help they help each other, and they they help one of the girls go through a very difficult uh, problem that. Hospitalization and just being there, showing up, and that really has the power to. You don't really have to even do that much. Just being there, it, it can change a life. It can it can save a life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so yeah, that's like I said, one of the. Uh, there's lots of messages in here. So and, uh, and most and also you know it's a spiritual journey. Uh, we were. Um, I, I I don't know if you want me to talk about that or or um, you know about um, uh, Jesus or the Lord. Um, well, I'd love to, but we only got about a we only got about a few minutes left, so maybe that okay. maybe that could be something that they can try to experience themselves, you know, and and exactly. let them find it and have some fun to to follow that path too. Right. Exactly. Um, so the book is, uh, again, it's Looking for Davy Jones, and it is available on Amazon.com for Kindle or print version. It's also available on Barnes & Noble for Nook. And you can find me on, uh, I, have, I don't have a website, but I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. And that's also, you can also find those, uh, you know, the, uh, the addresses there right at the end of the book here. Well, you must have been reading my mind because I was just about to ask you that. So you saved me the you saved me the hassle of having it and have and the redundancy of having to ask people that. So I like that. And Diana, this has been so much fun. I I I love the book. I love the book's concept and to be able to get you know transport to a time where I love the music the most uh, and and the the stories that come from that. I can't wait to read it myself, and I hope everybody else will as well. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yes, I I. I... I, I would love that, and again, I want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be on your show and talk about my book. Thank you so much. No problem. We'll definitely have to get you back on uh, for new stuff that you write, so uh, hopefully you'll continue to write, and we'll be able to, to talk about those in the future.
Absolutely, yes, I do have a couple of things. Like I said, a couple of sequels to this and another inspirational book that I'm working on. Love it. Well, thank you for coming on, and we will uh, we will uh, bring you back on as soon as we can. Okay, thank you so much, and you have a wonderful day. You Take too. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be right back after this, so don't go anywhere. we got more, and uh, I'm sure you guys will love it. We'll be right back. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hi, it's Maurice Bernard. You're listening to the AME radio show welcome back to the show everybody we're about ready to close it out now if you want to see us again we are on again tomorrow every saturday as well you can also find us every friday or saturday on these outlets it's amfm247.com every friday at 6 a.m every saturday at 5 p.m eastern standard time wklap.com every friday at 12 p.m and every saturday at 7 p.m radio love every saturday night at 9 p.m we are also on phoenixbroadcasting.com iheart itunes and spotify on demand so check us out on all those amazing places and we will see you again tomorrow keep those creative juices flowing good night everybody that's the end we're done calm down people calm down okay that's it